We are beginning this week a series called Made for More, and it's going to be a six-week study of the six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And it is going to be what I am hoping is a reset for some of us, a reminder for some of us, and some of us are going to be like, I had no idea. That's, that's the whole purpose of all of this. So as we get into this study of Ephesians, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background information um, as far as what the city of Ephesus was. It's located in what we now call Turkey. It's Asia Minor. It was a major trade center for the Asian portion of the Roman Empire. You had multiple trade routes coming into Ephesus. There was a, a large river that went from Ephesus right to the Aegean Sea. And so it became an epicenter of commerce. Not only that, it had um, Paul sent, spent three years there developing the believers there, and it became a sending center for missionaries. Also found there was the, was the Roman temple to Diana. This thing took decades to build, and at the time, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, so the worship of Diana was entrenched in that city. So Paul has a substantial investment of his life in the city of Ephesus. He's now a prisoner under house arrest in Rome, likely chained to a guard. He's able to, to, to be able to converse with people and people can come and see him and he can write letters and send out. It's kind of an informal type of uh, incarceration, but he is in prison and he is writing to churches. This is probably about the same time he wrote to the church at Colossae, which is our book, uh, Colossians. But, but uh, the, the, the main thing to keep in mind here is you have Paul seeing the end of his life approaching. He's about to go before Caesar and plead his case. And if you know much about church history, he dies. And so he is now thinking, okay, I, I need to write some letters to my churches. And it kind of creates a little bit of a different feel when you read these books, when you realize that that this could be Paul's last letter to them. And so it's like he is wanting to tell them things before he dies. So it creates a sense of importance, almost a sense of finality. So it kind of, what, it, what I think it does is, is Paul is saying, let me give you a reason for everything we've been learning. Let me, let, me, let me write this treatise, if you will. Ephesians has been, been called the constitution of the church. It's one of those books of the Bible that there's so much information there. But there's a why to the how. There's a, there's a purpose to what you have been learning and what I've taught you is what Paul is saying. And that's Ephesians. And so as we get into this book of Ephesians... We're going to go chapter by chapter, and I'm hoping that the light starts to come on for you like, okay, that's, that makes more sense now because I, I see things from a different perspective, and that's what I think the purpose of Ephesians is. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Keep in mind that when they put the books of the Bible together, they did not put Paul's epistles in chronological order. They just put the biggest ones first and the smallest ones last, which is just funny to me. 
there must have been one of those guys that has to have everything symmetrical. Right? So we're going to go largest to smallest. That's how we're going to create all of the order for Paul's epistles. So we, we end up here with, uh, so Romans is the first one because it's the largest book, and then it goes on down to here we are in Ephesians now. And so we are going to be looking into this, and we're going to look first of all in the chapter 1 because as I was going through my seminary training, I was thinking, yeah, if you're going to go through a book, let's start with the first chapter. I learned those kind of things when I was in seminary. Seems like a good place to start. So as you look at chapter 1, it's, it's broken down into two halves. The first half, which is verses 1 through 14, talk about Jesus. And Paul starts off with this beautiful explanation of who Jesus is and all that he's done. And so I summarized it this way. Jesus has done so much more. So here's a few things that I read in those first few verses, um, more than we could ever know. He blessed us. He has chosen us. He's adopted us. He predestined us to be his. He has accepted us. He has redeemed us. He, this is all in that first 14 verses. He has forgiven us. He has made us to know his will. He has given us an inheritance. He has sealed us forever with the Holy Spirit. He has put a down payment or an earnest money deposit on our souls. That's all in those first few verses of Ephesians. That is all the stuff that Jesus has done. He's reminding the church at Ephesus. And then the, the second half of the chapter, which starts in verse 15 and goes to verse 23, is focused more on now how does the church respond to that. And, that and, and I wrote this, the church is called to more. Now, there is a book put out by a group of churches called Exponential, and the book is called Made for More. And much of the material that we are getting for this study is drawn from that concept that we as a church are made for more. We as individuals are made for more than we are allowing ourselves to understand or believe. And Paul is saying here, listen, church, look at Jesus. Like, look at all that Jesus has done. And then he says, and we're going to read some more verses here. We're going to read some verses in just a minute. It's, he says, Jesus is the head of this thing. We are the body, the church. And if Jesus is all of this, and we are his body, it creates a new sense of purpose. It reminds us of why we are here. Because the church is a body, and it says here in Scripture, the fullness of Jesus. That blows my mind. So the fulfilling of what Jesus came to do and, and, and what he is effectively trying to do on earth today is done through the church. It is the people of God saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. That's the church. I jotted this down. We are the primary means to manifest his presence in this world. Let that sink into you just for a second. I know the word of God says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. I know that creation testifies to a creator. He could have written John 3, 16, for God so loved the world on every blade of grass if he wanted to. He could have had the clouds instead of being a cumulus formation. It could have been a Jesus loves you formation. 
He could have communicated his love to us in a number of ways. But it is the church that is the primary means of manifesting his presence in this world. It's the primary way the work of the kingdom becomes tangible. It's the primary way the gospel is proclaimed. And as his body, we are to stretch this thing. We are to fill every area of his kingdom with the message of the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at a few verses here. Ephesians chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter, Paul tells us in verses 22 and 23, he says this, he put all things under his feet. That's Jesus, capital H. And gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of this church. The fullness of him who fills all in all. There is no place where Jesus cannot fill. There is nowhere we are not sent as his people. And if we are his body, then we are his hands and feet, and we are to go everywhere that Jesus is. Not only that, <laughs> this is who we are. And this is how we are to see our role in this kingdom. We are called to wherever Jesus wants to be. Not only that, we're called to where we didn't know he wanted us to go. We are part of the mission of Jesus Christ on this earth. And I do mean the church as a whole, like Virginia Hills Church or the, the church universal. I, I mean that, but I also mean church. I mean you. I mean me. Like we are called to something. We are called to this mission of Jesus. The fullness of who Jesus is in this world, we are his body Church is not just about coming to a location and meeting and worshiping God. Church is about being Jesus in the world that we fill, the space that we fill. We are empowered by God and we're empowered for something great. Something greater than goosebumps on a Sunday morning. Something greater than a parking space close to the front doors at Walmart. We are empowered for more than an answered prayer every now and then. We are empowered with the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that dwells inside of us for something greater than the life that we have settled for. We are made for more. The same power, Romans 8, 11, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Ephesians 1 in our text today, 19 and 20 says this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. I think that we as followers of Jesus Christ need to re-Jesus ourselves. We need a we need a freshening up. We need a renewed look at who Jesus is, the power that dwells within us, 
and what the purpose of that is. We need a reminder about who Jesus is and who we are in him and what we are called to do with him in this world. The second law of thermodynamics is entropy. That everything declines, that everything winds down to more disorder, which is why evolution makes no sense. Everything winds down into more disorder. And I believe this, the entropy of the Christian life is for a smaller, less powerful Jesus. The longer we are saved, the more used to Jesus we are, the more normal life becomes, the smaller Jesus gets. It's like we can keep him in our pocket and only pull him out when we need him. Instead of being on mission with him, instead of the fullness of Jesus filling every nook and cranny of our life, we only pray when we got to have something or we only see him as powerful in other countries or when we hear of a great work. We have worship without awe. We have prayer without faith. We have service without joy. We live a life without purpose. And as a result, I believe there's this restless discontent, knowing that we are made for something more. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. We look around us and we think, hmm, there's got to be more to this. What am I missing? What, there has to be more to life, more to my life, more that I should be doing, more to please God. Can I remind you? Can I remind, can I remind me, church? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and verses 23, that God has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over this church, over you, over this church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what this series is about. We, we are called to something more. When was the last time? When was the last time you looked at something in your life and said, wow, man, that was God. When was the last time you were a part of something that you held your breath about? When was the last time that if it wasn't God doing it, it wouldn't have happened? When was the last time that you stepped out of the boat? When was the last time you prayed for a friend to come to know Jesus? When was the last time you felt like God was all over that? That's what I'm talking about. That's the life. That's the fullness of who we are called to be. We are the body of Christ. 
The same power that rose Jesus from the grave dwells in us, and it's for more than meeting on a Sunday. The same power that dwells inside of us that raised Jesus from the dead is for more than waking up, commuting to work, putting in your 8, 10, 16 hours, coming home, Netflixing, going to bed, wash, rinse, and repeat, do it all over again tomorrow. Living for the weekend so you can what? Accomplish nothing for eternity. Ah. The word church, as found in Scripture, is a combination of two Greek words. We put them together. It's called ekklesia. It's two words. It's, it's ek, which means out. It's kaleo, which means called. The very word church means called. Like we are called to more. We are called for a purpose. So I'm, 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 this whole series is going to be about this, but I've created this thing, this idea to help wrap our brains around the progression of it, a threefold calling. It's first, so we're going we're gonna to just talk about this. First of all, who God has called me to be, who God has called me to to be. Isaiah 43, 7 says this, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. We are called for something. We are called to be something. I have a calling on my life. You have a calling on your life. I want to know what that is. I want to know how to do that. It starts by becoming somebody. That's the first thing, is finding out who we are called to be. It starts with understanding who we are in Jesus and whose we are. So who God has called me to be is my first calling. My second calling is what God has called me to do. So go, I mean be, and doing, I already gave you the answer to the last square. Doggone it. You cheaters, you're going to go there and put go right in that little square. What God has called me to do. Too often, we like to start with the do. Right? We like, to, we like to jump right to do. And doing is important. But if you don't be before you do, then you're going to get frustrated because you're not going to do right all the time. And so if you don't do right all the time, you start to think that you're not who you are. And just because you have one fender bender doesn't mean you're a bad driver. If you drive in the left-hand lane, you're a bad driver. But you can have a bad day and not be a bad person in Christ. Like just because you fail, just because you sin, just because you... So, so if you don't understand who you be, right? If you jump right to do before you understand who you be, when you don't do right, you're going to mistake that for who you are not. 
So you have to know who you be before you start the do. And if you understand who you be, then you'll want to do. But too many times we start with the doing before we are being. And I love what what Paul says. We are to be becoming saved. That'll blow your brain. Like we are, this is a, you get saved just like you are born into a family, right? But it takes you a lifetime to live into what that looks like. I'm a child of God. I was a child of God from the moment I asked him into my heart when I was nine years old. And ever since then, I've been being a Christian, figuring out what this means. From that moment on, I was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, on my way to heaven, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But here I am, 15 years later, Still working on my honesty. Still figuring out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's being saved. I'm, this is what it means. You ever have a conversation with your kid? We don't do that in this house. We don't, that, no. We have three rules in our house. Tell the truth. Obey and show respect. The nice thing about only having three rules is that you can fit anything wrong they do under one of those three rules, right? You either told me a lie or you disrespected me or you didn't do what I said, right? And those are all whipping offenses, right? And so it took a while. They were my kids. It took a while for them to figure out how to behave in my family. And it's still taking a while for them to figure out their purpose in life and what they're called to do, right? So it's like, it, it is, this is the doing part is not the being. We're called to be. We're also called to do. And here's the thing. If you haven't bead yet, That's your first step. You have to be. So if you are here this morning and it's like you like church and you think these are nice people, but you have not become a child of God, like you don't feel that personal connection with with him, that's where you got to start. You have to be first. And once you be, then I believe there is something that you are called to do. So, so let's, let's review here, right? So, so our threefold calling, who God has called me to be. That made me so sad just hearing that. It's like there's, I put the answers on the board, okay? So let's try it. Who has God called me to be. Yes, thank you. And then what God has called me to? Yes, yes. And then where God has called me to go. There are no do not enter signs for a resurrected Jesus. There is no place that Jesus does not want to affect. 
There's no community he's not interested in. There's no life he doesn't want to touch. There are no do not enter signs for a resurrected Jesus, and we are his body. So that means that there are no do not enter signs for the church of Jesus Christ. There is no place where his gospel cannot transform a life. This incredible Jesus, this good news needs to go where he is needed most. This, this Jesus is not just for us. There is plenty of him to go around. And he wants to go where you didn't even know he wanted you to go. This gospel is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. And there's more of it. And it's free. That's evangelism. That's telling the good news. Generously, willingly going where Jesus is needed. All things under his feet, the fullness of him. I read this week, it's like a fish tank. Filling a fish tank with water. There is no place that water isn't. That's Jesus. Like there is no place, fullness. There's no place where Jesus can't go. So here's the mind shift I think we need. This is, this is uh, um, those of you who have been part of a church for a long time or those of you who are jumping in and see the fact that we have volunteer opportunities and, and simple serves, like on, the, on your connection card, there's a place you can check. I want to be a part of the, the greeting team or I want to be a part of this team or whatever. Those are all beautiful ways that we can serve God's family right here and, and, and create an environment. But what I want to get, I want a mind shift to happen. I want us to understand that most churches have this philosophy. We can do it and you can help. Like most church organizations are, we can do it and you can help. So, so ministry happens in and around the church in specific, specified areas of service to meet the needs of the congregation. And we have needs, like babies need the diapers changed when they come to church. It's nice having coffee, right? And I'm grateful for the folks that get here at dark 30 to turn all the lights on and get the coffee maker and put all the signs out. That doesn't happen because God snaps his fingers. All of this stuff happens because there's a team of people who get here and serve you. And I think that is part of our calling. I think that is a beautiful thing that people do. But that philosophy sometimes fails to tap into the capacity of God's people or maybe even your own personal calling. I mean, it needs to be done. It need, someone needs to do this. But your calling doesn't necessarily, and this is so self-sabotaging, but your calling doesn't necessarily have to revolve around our church. I, oh, man, that really hurt me to say that. I just want you to know that. So we're going to adopt Home Depot's slogan, you can do it, we can help. Okay? So we're going to all start wearing orange aprons. You can do it, we can help. In other words, what, what, what I want you to understand is that ministry happens where you live. Ministry happens where you work, where you study, and where you play. Four areas, right? 
where you live, work, study, and play. That's where ministry happens. Can ministry happen here at the, at the church house? Yes. Does it every week? Yes. Do we need folks to serve? Yes. But you can do it. We can help is at where you live and where you work, where you study, and where you play. So what has God called you to do there in every area of your life? It taps into your giftings, your passions, your burdens, your God-ordained experiences. I was listening to a podcast. This was probably a year, year and a half ago. And I wish I could remember her name. I'll figure it out for the 11 o'clock, so just watch. There was a gal that she's a problem solver. She's worked for some of the major companies in America that had branding problems or PR issues. Her latest one was Mark Cuban for the Dallas Mavericks. So she, she goes there, and she creates a PR campaign to change the public's image of who Mark Cuban is. This is what she's hired to do. She's going to a church in Atlanta, and she goes to the pastor and says, now this lady makes millions of dollars, right? She is incredibly gifted, incredibly skilled negotiator. She, is, she knows so much about the public's perception. So she goes to her pastor and says, I really want to serve the Lord. Do you have something I can do? He's like, huh, I guess we could have you pass out bulletins. And there's nothing wrong with passing out bulletins, right? You're holding one. What I'm saying is, are we tapping into her greater potential? Are we tapping into her wheelhouse, who God has gifted her to be? Are we tapping into your greater potential? I don't think it has to be either or. I think it can be both and. My question is, how can we help you Figure out who God has called you to be, what God has called you to do, and where God has called you to go to meet the needs of this world as his body outside the walls of this building. You are pretty great. And God has gifted you accordingly. And God has a calling on your life and we want to help you figure out what that is. We're made for something more. And that's what this series is going to get into. There's two questions. At some point in your life, before you die, are going to have to answer. The first question is this. What will I do with who Jesus said he was? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to get to the Father. That's a pretty definitive statement. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not many roads that lead to heaven. There's a narrow gate. It's, it's, It's pretty exclusive. If there were other ways to get to heaven, then why did God send Jesus to die? So the first question you have to answer, this is the B part 
is what are you going to do with who Jesus said he was? Because as Muhammad is the same as Jesus, we got a problem. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus. He's the door. He's the, he's the narrow gate. He's the way. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty narrow. But it's an open invitation. That's the thing. So what are we going to do with who Jesus said he was? And, and the second question we have to answer at some point in our life is what will I do with what Jesus gave me to do? What will I do with what Jesus gave me to do? We are his body. We are called to more than the wash, rinse, repeat cycle of life. Your job is what should finance what you do for God. Like, however you make money, it all belongs to Jesus, right? So what are we doing to advance the kingdom of God, to be his church? So you get to heaven. So how'd it go on your 70 years on earth? I mowed a good lawn. I mowed a good lawn. I had neighbors stop and tell me how great it was. And I was always able to buy a new car every three years. I was able to pay for my daughter's college education. That's good. Like, but what did you do with what I gave you to do? That's what I'm talking about. Like, are we considering this? So, in, a, in preparation for next week, read chapter 2. We're going to be talking more about this. And go ahead and read chapter 1 just as a refresher. These are the words at the end of Paul's life. And he wants us to understand why we're here. To create greater purpose. You can do it. You can do it. We can help. You can do it. Let's think through this. Let's pray about this. Let's open ourselves up to who God has made us to be. So we stand back and say, whoo, man, that was awesome. That was God made for more. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the calling on our lives. Man, I just, I can't get over the fact that you want to partner with us, that we are your body. Help us to see that we have such an opportunity and we have been empowered to use who you have made us to be and do for your purposes. Help us to respond accordingly. Let's, let's, let's generate thought. Let's, let's create times of prayer where we are talking to you about this and what it looks like for us and what we can be doing to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.